Well, this is the last Sunday prior to Remembrance Day, where as a nation, we um, remember and honor um, those who have um, worn the uniform and who have put themselves in harm's way to protect and defend and to, um, again, provide for the measure of freedom that we have in our great country of Canada. So uh, the 2.3 million men and women who have uh, represented our country in um, far off conflicts or in peacekeeping missions, we just uh, honor them. And uh, we also remember the 118,000 men and women who uh, made the ultimate sacrifice by laying down their lives. And uh, so we don't take that sacrifice lightly. And uh, so uh, would you join me by just um, honoring and remembering for a brief moment um, those who have served and who have sacrificed um, for us as a country. Well, we're continuing our series of scripture talks uh, today called On Mission. And if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how uh, part of our mission, our first missional initiative, includes uh, being involved in spiritual communities, how circles are better than rows, and uh, how whether it's spiritual growth groups, uh, special interest groups, service groups, support groups, or seeker groups, there are all sorts of circles where we can belong and experience relational connection. We also introduced this idea of pairs, triads, and quads, and you can learn more about that on our website at kingstreet.org. And then last week, we talked about multiplying our reach and how we are committed to um, valuing lost people because Jesus, again, um, came to do the Father's will, which was to seek and to save that which is lost. And whenever a church is um, on mission with Jesus, you can hear his echo, the echo of his mission. It's being heard again. It's being seen again. And so we want to be the kind of church that has an outward facing aspect to who we are. And uh, we talked about uh, launching a live stream um, uh, ministry, which is going to be starting in early 2023, and or we can actually, uh, again, reach more people through an on uh, online um, live stream uh, aspect of our gatherings. So stay tuned for more information about that. And then we've also talked about how as the Lord kind of blows uh, the wind of the spirit on the sails of our church, and we head out on the mission of his prompting, that um, a third location, so 611 King Street West online community, and then also um, a third location in a high growth part of the Durham region is also on the radar for us. So we're, we're leaning into these missional initiatives. And uh, today, our third missional initiative to kind of put some attention on is this idea of celebrating diversity. And, um, and so we're, we're talking about circles are better than rows. A couple weeks ago, uh, we're talking about uh, lost people matter to God last week. And then today we're talking about how diversity is so beautiful. And um, so our passage to ponder today is actually a prayer that Jesus taught us. Uh, it's a model of prayer and it's a prayer that can be recited. And it's known in some traditions as the Our Father or the Lord's Prayer. And it goes like this. Maybe you'll recite it with me. This then is how you should pray. Matthew chapter six, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The reason I chose that passage as our passage to ponder for this week is that eight times in that prayer, there is a, um, a plural form used. Uh, it is the our Father in heaven, not my Father. Um, give us this day, not me, but us, and forgive us our trespasses. And as we have forgiven our debtors, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. So we've got these eight references to this prayer that's intended to be offered to our father, recognizing that we together come to him. And so uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful picture of what it means to be a community. We relate with God, not just as individuals, though we do come to him as people, as persons, but we also come to him as a community. And that's how Jesus taught us to pray. And so um, this morning, we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about church as an intergenerational family. We're going to talk about church as a multiracial community. And we're going to talk about church as a prelude to heaven. And uh, this is all in the context of celebrating diversity. So um, our first thought for consideration today is this, church as an intergenerational family. Uh, some of us have come from fantastic families, others of us less so. Um, and regardless of the measure of wholeness that we experienced in our family of origin, the church was intended to be a community where we all can experience a reorientation of what family was intended to be. And so the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer um, that we just recited implies again that if we have a common father, it makes us sons and daughters and brothers and sisters. And so uh, Jesus himself described um, those of us who would do the will of the Father, which we talked about last week. Jesus came, that was his mission, to do the will of the Father, to help seek and to save that which is lost. Uh, those of us who do the will of the Father, Jesus called us his brothers, his sisters, and his mother. And so um, that's who we are. Um, Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And so church as intergenerational family means that uh, we have an opportunity to be in relationship with spiritual mothers and fathers and children. And um, our secular culture right now is, is, um, is struggling with a, um, a disintegration of the family. The family system is struggling for survival, literally. And uh, probably no more time in history has the church been more relevant and well-positioned to meet the needs of our culture as it relates to trying to relearn what family could and should look like than this time in history. And now the Apostle Paul saw himself as a spiritual father to the Corinthians. He writes in, in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 14, he says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For he says, in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. As a child would imitate their parent, Paul says, imitate me. For this reason, I've sent to you Timothy. And he calls Timothy his son, his son in the faith. To Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord, he will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. And so Paul saw himself as a spiritual father. And thanks be to God for the older among us who are spiritual parents to us. 
they've been places we haven't been and they're setting the pace and leading by example. And so an intergenerational church family makes room for the older and the younger alike because we are a family, mothers, fathers, and spiritual children. Then there's the younger and older, as I've alluded to already. Paul continues with this theme. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. I love the way Paul describes the way he expects the church, the early Christians, to relate with each other. He says there'll be the older and there'll be the younger among you, and we need to treat them with special care and respect. And um, I love the fact that my daughters have been raised in a healthy church community known as King Street Community Church, where there's been a host of spiritual grandparents who've stepped into their lives, who have only affirmed and complimented um, what myself and their mother, Pia, has also instilled and their biological grandparents. And there's one in particular who remembers our daughter's birthdays every year. In fact, he's always ahead of the date. And he gives them a card and he blesses them with a little bit of money. And, uh, and in it, this is what I love the most, is on the inside, he takes 10% of the gift that he's given my kids and he tapes it in there. And underneath it, he writes with an arrow, tithe. And he actually provides for them a working example. He's been doing this for like 16 years. Uh, blessing our kids and then teaching them to honor the Lord with their money. We've been inviting our kids to do that all their life. And then we have this complimentary voice from a spiritual grandparent who is also doing the same thing. And so we have this uh, invitation to be a church that is an intergenerational family, mothers, fathers, children, and then younger and older and then secondly, let's talk a little bit about church as multi-ethnic community. Um, <clears throat> the church of, of Jesus Christ, when it is functioning well, is an open circle. For those who are disenfranchised sons and daughters who are finding their way home, and the church is also a community that makes space for people who are different than us. And um, there's a, a verse in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18, where it talks a little bit about church discipline and how we can deal with our differences. And at the end of that passage in Matthew 18, it says, wherever two or three are gathered, there I am present in the midst of them. And so uh, Jesus is present in the middle of clusters of communities that gather. And also in that passage, it's when things are challenging or when there are differences. And so being different is what it means to be human. And God actually loves diversity. The spirit of Jesus is present in diverse environments that are missional. Uh, whenever two or three gather in my name. So it's not just two or three people playing baseball, even though that's not a bad thing. Uh, it's two or three people gathering on mission. Jesus says, there you can count on my special presence. And um, unity in the middle of diversity glorifies God. And um, sameness is bland. Diversity is beautiful. And so we all should make space for that which is different, even though as humans, when we're not at our best, we want everyone to be just like us. And unfortunately, if everyone was just like us, this world would be incredibly boring. Um, now, the Canadian government just this past week announced that by 2025, they want to actually increase the number of new Canadians, new people coming to Canada to be 500,000 people. That's 1,370 people every day coming to Canada. And so the nations for many years have been coming to our country and it's only becoming um, more obvious that the nations are calling Canada home. 
Listen to Jesus when he gives a missional directive to his disciple friends in Matthew 28, a well-known passage. It's called the Great Commission. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. You can underline that part. Go and make disciples of all nations, not just the nations that are monoethnic or that are like you, but make disciples of all nations, people who are different from you, different language, different culture, different set of values, perhaps, different way of approaching life. Go and make disciples of all all nations, baptizing them or immersing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Immerse them in the trifold name of God, who is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who is beautiful and gentle and generous and kind and loving and faithful. All the things that make God who he is. Immerse, surround people with that kind of presence. And he says, um, again, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And then here comes the promise of his presence. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus, by his spirit, is with his people when we are on mission with him in the world. And so when we are involved in missional environments, God is present by his spirit there. And uh, he celebrates diversity. Now, it hasn't always been the case that humans celebrate diversity. In fact, there's an Older Testament story of Moses with his brother Aaron and his older sister Miriam. Um, and uh, Miriam and the older sister of, of, um, of Moses and Aaron, they, Mo, Miriam ended up getting herself in a bit of hot water. And um, Miriam, remember, as the older sister of both Moses and Aaron, actually was the one who was keeping careful watch over Moses in Exodus chapter 2 when um, Moses' mother put him in the Nile River and, and he was rescued by Pharaoh's daughter. It was actually Miriam who was looking out for him who said, can I get a caregiver for you? And went and actually got her mother. It's a beautiful, beautiful story, but it's a picture of how much Miriam loves her brother Moses and her family. And uh, so her watchful eye appears to be, um, it turns a little bit racist uh, in the story that's recorded in um, Numbers chapter 12, beginning in the first two verses. And then we pick up the story in verses 10 through 12. Let me read it. And probably at first glance, it doesn't appear that Miriam's racist, but it's, it's actually quite obvious by the way that the writer records it. So Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife. For he had married a Cushite woman, and that's really like modern-day Ethiopia. So the odds of her having dark skin is quite high. Um, and then they continue and said, Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked. Hasn't he also spoken through us? And then the text says, and the Lord heard this. And you can kind of get this feeling that the, the Bible is introducing this idea that it's, it was a concern of what God was hearing. It was very concerning to him. And so when the cloud lifted from and above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became as white as snow. Interesting. So she seems to have a complaint or an issue with Moses' wife, who's from Ethiopia. And God seems to deliver some form of judgment against Miriam. And he turns her skin white. In other words, you like white? I'll give you white. Um, Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had a defiling skin disease. And he said to Moses, please, my Lord, I ask you not to hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. It's a very tragic story where God takes issue with Miriam specifically for uttering what appears to be racist comments about Moses' wife. 
you know, racism always hurts humans. It always hurts the heart of God. And it's just unacceptable anywhere in society, but especially in the church. Now, to hold a bias is to be human, but it's problematic because it blinds us. To hold a bias is human, but it's problematic because it blinds us. Um, in the New Testament, the Samaritans were like considered to be like mixed people. Uh, they were half Jewish and they had mixed themselves when they were in exile or in captivity. And so uh, the Samaritans were considered to be sort of on the other side of the tracks. They weren't pure Jewish people. And yet Jesus, he makes Samaritans the model, example, or hero in two specific stories. One is the grateful leper in Luke chapter 17. Ten men were healed of their leprosy. One came back and gave thanks. And Jesus says, where are the other nine? This one Samaritan, or he calls him a foreigner, has come back to give thanks. And so he holds up the Samaritan as one who has gratitude in a way that pleases and touches the heart of Jesus. And then as we know, and it's on the books in Canadian law, uh, there's something called the Good Samaritan Law. And Jesus tells a story. This is not a real story, but it's a parable. It's a fictional story intended to teach a spiritual principle. Um, where it wasn't the priest and it wasn't the Levite who were held out to be the model examples. It was actually the Samaritan who spent time and, and, and treasure in order to help this person who had fallen into the hands of the robbers be uh, restored and healed and, and, and brought back to his, his place of wellness. Um, it was the good Samaritan. Um, and so, so Jesus takes the people who in society are deemed to be outsiders or on the other side of the tracks, and he actually puts them at the center of his teaching and his stories, and he holds them up as an example. I, I wonder in today's world who Jesus would hold up if he was telling us this story today, who it might be that our world or perhaps even the religious community perceives as outsiders, that he might make the model examples, whether it comes to compassion or gratitude or another life lesson that he was teaching. And so um, for us, the church is intended to be a multi-ethnic community where we make space for people who are different than us, who maybe have an initial or a different first language or come from a different culture, perhaps have a different skin tone, and uh, they may eat very different foods. They may dress very differently than us, but the church is a celebration of diversity. And the reason this is the case is diversity pleases God first and foremost, and the body of Christ, church communities, local expressions of the body of Christ all over the world are supposed to be little pictures, little um, foreshadows of heaven. And so um, one church, the one body of Christ is serving as a prelude to heaven. So uh, really quickly, three last passages. I'll make a few comments and then we'll wrap up. According to Jesus in John 17, um, unity in the face of diversity really pleases God. He doesn't expect sameness. Sameness is boring. It's bland. Unity in the face of diversity is beautiful. And it is the spice of life. Uh, Jesus says, my prayer in John 17, verse 20 is not for them alone. He also prays for us, for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
the church, according to Jesus' prayer, was intended to function like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a measure of oneness in the face of our own plurality. And uh, in so doing, we actually demonstrate to the world around us that there's something unique and special going on here. And according to Paul, Paul writes to first century Christians in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 13, and he's talking specifically about two groups of people, uh, the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers, and they were not to be separated, but they were to be integrated. And he writes, he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, this is the Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It was Jesus' atoning work on the cross that brought them close. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And so now, The redemptive community of God is no longer in categories or camps or groups where they look with some form of disdain or contempt or suspicion at others. We don't categorize tier one, tier two, whether you be younger, older, wealthy, less wealthy, whether you be educated, less educated, uh, or whether you be from this part of the world or that part of the world, whether you wear this or wear that. At the end of the day, there are no groups. There is one body. And Paul says, this is what Jesus came for. This is what Jesus died for, to break down this barrier of hostility and to bring peace between us and between one another. And then finally, here's the last passage from Revelation chapter 7, a little prelude to heaven. Um, I hope you're planning on being there with God. Um, it's it's a, a, an appointment you don't want to miss. Um, Heaven is off the charts awesome. And as we say around King Street, it is always an upgrade from life in this world. And uh, we get this little um, apocalyptic or this cryptic kind of view of what heaven's like when we read um, certain parts of the Bible and especially the last book of the the New Testament known as Revelation. Um, uh, You know, the writer says in chapter 7, after this, so he's having this literally revelation. I looked and he's catching a heavenly vision here. And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Now, just in case if you wondered if only a few people will be in heaven, this picture seems to imply that there is going to be a lot of people there. There was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. There is diversity around the throne, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes. Now they were kind of... Um, covered together in what God has provided through his self-sacrificing love in Jesus on the cross. They're wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. They're using their voice. They're together in unity. They are singing the same salvation song, announcing the same salvation story with Jesus at the very center. And when the church is at her best, we're saying the same salvation story. We're singing one another's songs together. And we are putting Jesus again at the very center of who we are and what we're about. And so if we're going to be on mission together, we're echoing the mission of Jesus. We're hearing it and seeing it again. And it includes celebrating diversity. So I want to pray uh, for us together today. And then I'll invite our host pastors to come back. I thank you for um, the way you make space in your life 
as a person of faith, or perhaps you wouldn't consider yourself to be one, but you're open to the idea that people may not be like me, but I can learn from them. People not, may not be like me, but I can actually love and like them. And uh, because we are somebody else's different. And um, so if we can have a wide open space in our hearts for others, everybody gets better. Lord, thank you today for the way you order things. Your purposes are best and we say yes to them. Uh, thank you, God, for the way you invite us into your kind of kingdom that announces equality for the younger, the older, the male, the female, the educated, uneducated, the wealthy, the under-resourced. Um, God, wherever we may find ourselves in this global community, God, um, there is equality in the household of faith. Thank you that you are building a family and we all get to be a part of it. Um, Lord, we pray again today for your peace and grace over us as a community, over the communities we belong to. And uh, we pray especially over our country today and in the week ahead that you would help us to remember and honor. May there be a, a spiritual awakening of honor in our land as we remember those who have put themselves in harm's way. And especially today, Jesus himself, who... Um, sacrificed his own life so that we might go free and experience the kind of freedom that lasts both now and into the world to come. So we honor you today, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for all that you have for us. And we say a big amen to it in Jesus name. Amen.